Now, in, in chapter 7 of Daniel, we meet God who stirs up the waters and brings forth four kingdoms. And they represent the kingdoms of the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and finally the Romans. And Babylon is the lion. And the things that happen to the lion describe some of the ways in which God dealt with Nebuchadnezzar and then with Belshazzar. The bear represents the Medo-Persian Empire and even little details like it was raised up on one of its sides show us that in fact what happened was that the Persians became more uh, powerful than the Medes. The leopard representing Greece was given authority to rule and Alexander the Great did just that until he burned himself out. The most terrifying of the beasts represents the Roman Empire with its power, its extensive territories and the way it swept all before it. In contrast to these beasts, we see one like a son of man who is welcome and has the right to walk into the throne room of heaven and he has real authority and real power and is worshipped by all the nations. And Cummings is going to read us chapter 8. And in chapter 8, there are two beasts. Again, one represents the Medo-Persian Empire and the rule of Alexander. Um, and then, the, sorry, and the other represents Alexander who took over from him. So can we hear chapter 8, please? In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns. Standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it with great, in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. 
It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one to him said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people? He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man, and I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in deep sleep. While my face, with my face to the ground, he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the, in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. Two, the two-horned ram that you saw repre represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause the seed to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet, he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, may we who are in Christ be taken beyond our human reason to glimpse your wisdom, open our hearts and minds not merely to gain information but to learn how to live your way, the way of truth and love, in the midst of trouble. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. In 7 and 8, we have two visions, which are what we call allegories. Now, there's two kinds of prophecies, I guess. There's allegory, which is where God tells you how it's going to be, and that's all there is to it. And then there's the other kind of prophecy which 
gives people an opportunity to change. So it's prophecy in which human choice changes the outcome. It doesn't change the sovereignty of God, it just changes the outcome. Now these beasts that we hear of in 7 and 8 take over the world as it's known at the time. And they take over one after another by destroying what came before them. These images are horrific to demonstrate how bestial the behaviour of humans can become. They are cruel, they are deprived, depraved and they are idolatrous. And they set themselves against God. History has proven all these visions to be true descriptions of what was then the future. They demonstrate that God is sovereign and can therefore say what's going to come. They show us his sovereignty is exercised through human rulers that he appoints and removes them according to his plan and his timing. His sovereignty is absolute and his word can be trusted. And from this horrific vision of these horrible beasts, the vision shifts to the courts of heaven where God is on his throne and it's revealed that it's his will that all of heaven is celebrating. His authority prevails and is carried out by the hosts of heaven. Yet those who boast still boast until God removes them. God is seen on the throne of the universe deciding the fate of the superpowers and giving dominion to whom he will. In Romans 13, Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist, he says, have been established by God. And Paul goes on to remind us that before we, we don't need to fear human rulers, or they can harm people and they harm God's people, but they cannot ultimately separate us from God. Within this vision of the courts of heaven, we see one like a son of man. And he's brought before God. By virtue of his sinlessness and his perfection, he has the right to come into the throne room of God. In sacrificing that perfection for us, Jesus gave us right to come into that throne room as well. We can come with our fears and needs to God and be heard, but only because we belong to the one who has the right to be there. It's the will of the Father that at the proper time the authority, glory and sovereign power are given to Jesus Christ and his, unlike the kingdoms of the beasts, will be an everlasting dominion that will never pass away and his kingdom one that will never be destroyed, it says in verse 14 of chapter 7. To show how much greater is this ruler than those of the vision before him, they are utterly destroyed. You can dig up 
bits of what's left of them, but the bits that are left of them have no power. The eternal kingdom of the ancient of days will be ushered in by the Son of Man. Till then, God's people can expect to suffer at the hands of their leaders. But, in verse 26, the court will sit and power will be removed from leaders and given to others. The meaning of the vision is explained to Daniel, not every question he asked, but the overall meaning of the vision. They are, um, and he is told that all this authority and power which will be given to the one like the Son of Man is destined ultimately to be given and shared with the saints. The people of the Most High God, 7.18 says. This leaves Daniel troubled, but he keeps his vision and the bit of it he understands to himself. We see the authority and planning of God throughout Daniel. Um, and for me, it's in the word Natan, which is um, Hebrew for give. God gives. God gave Israel into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God gave Daniel and his friends a good hearing from the chief of staff of Nebuchadnezzar. God gave Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego wisdom, discernment, the ability to interpret dreams. God gave. And for me, this is an essential part of the character of God. It's what he does. He gives to us. He's given to us his son. The vision in chapter 8, though, is concerned with the last of the four kingdoms mentioned in 7 and the little horn which replaces it. It depicts the mighty days of the Medo-Persian Empire, which began with Darius, the ram, and how everything the Medo-Persian Medo Empire built up was taken away by Alexander the goat. In this vision, we see that until God brings this sinful world to its end, his sovereignty, divine sovereignty, is acted out through human rulers. They have considerable power, but it is still God who gives it and takes it away. And often he takes it away because of their hubris, their arrogance, the fact that they consider themselves to be as good as God. Daniel prays to God back in chapter 2, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Now back in Daniel's vision in chapter 8, Alexander knocks himself out, literally conquering the world, but, uh, and he burns out as quite a young man, really, and he leaves his part of the world to be divided between his four generals. But there's a cunning, deceitful little man in the wings... Not for him the hard work of waging war. Um, he's not going to risk life and limb 
No, his way is the way of undermining and corrupting and disturbing the truth. There seems to be no honour in this man and his hatred of God and the people of God is hideous and destructive. His name, as history tells us later, is Antiochus Epiphanes and he sets out to use lies and his power to remove the leaders of the people of God and do away with the witness to God. He forbids people to conduct the sacrifices God requires or to keep the festivals which are instituted to remind them of God's actions on their behalf. He even persuades a group of Jewish nationalists to cast their lot in with him because he can get them power faster than God can. Finally, he put his own guards into the temple and sacrificed to his own gods there, making it a place the people of God could no longer use as it was defiled. All of these events are predicted in the allegory of the little horn. What's Daniel to make of all this? Evil prospering? Truth destroyed? Again and again he sees boastful people setting themselves up against God and God's temple and God's people. He's not given the power to interpret his own visions and so he asks for understanding and God answers him. This is the nature of God as well. God answers requests for help and understanding. The vision, he's told, concerns the appointed time. That is, it reveals some aspects of God's plan, enough to remind Daniel of the sovereignty of God, something he's been instrumental in trying to get through to the kings that he's worked for. The last battle he's told, will be won by God and the beneficiaries will be God's people. There are many times in history when it's looked like the last battle is underway. Um, and this passage says in verse 19 of chapter 8, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end the two-horned ram you saw, and so on. It says, the man will come and he will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior, superior, that is, to God. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the Lord. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. This stern-faced master of intrigue, like many before and after him, will destroy the leaders and the holy people of God. In many ways, David finds this vision of corruption and destruction of truth to be even more frightening than the beasts who wage war of physical destruction. The final king seems bent on spiritual corruption and wiping out of the people of God and every aspect of their worship of God, including the sacrificial system for which the temple was the focus. But he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Daniel is terrified by the extent of the further horror to come to God's people 
and it sends him to his bed for several days. But he eventually realises that whatever the future holds, he still has to live in today. So he gets up and gets on with his life of service, although the visions won't leave him. If you read Revelation, you'll find many similarities between the beasts of Daniel's visions and those that John saw. The sovereignty of God and of the Son is evidenced in the pictures John sees and the words spoken by the heavenly host and the saints assembled in the throne room of heaven. John reminds us that even though we cannot avoid bearing some evidence of this beast in this world order, yet viewed from heaven, we also bear the name of God and of the Lamb on our foreheads and so are secure in him. Over the centuries, these visions have served to remind the people of God that periods and people of great evil will from time to time appear on the human stage. Most of what they do will be beyond the comprehension of ordinary humans. But our overwhelming hope is in our sovereign God and that that sovereign God will do what only his power can do at the appointed time. Look at all the things that Jesus said the Spirit would accomplish. Indeed, living as we are told to do only makes sense if he is Lord and if he will return to judge the world. Our overwhelming hope is in our sovereign God and that the sovereign God will do what only his power can do. Christian, never doubt God is sovereign. Learn about him as he has acted in history. He draws people to himself. He has demonstrated his righteousness and justice, but yet still never underestimate the evil of evil and the length Satan will go to to oppose God and his people. For this reason, I believe God has put us together into a church, into a family to build one another up, to help us recognise what is good and what is evil and to encourage us always to trust God, no matter what. This is the purpose of discipleship and of our church family. Following Christ together, bearing one another's burdens, learning more of him together, loving and grieving together and sharing the good news. This is a big passage and there is so much more we could say. But if we see our trustworthy sovereign who is not taken by surprise by events because he is in control of them, we've learnt the important lesson from this part of Daniel. The Son of Man will be victorious. His authority is worked out through his people and the timing of all history is his. We need to put our complete trust in the one who has shown he knows and controls the future as he does the present, then we can withstand whatever the evil world might throw at us. There is more of Daniel and there are more questions, I'm sure, in your head and we can talk about them at our informal morning tea. Let's just pray.